You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me and now a series of guests. And today I've got the most lovely woman who's called Butter Wakefield, who was born in America, which you'll hear about, but has worked in this country for now nearly 30 years or even maybe more than 30 years. And we met actually through a mutual passion for colour. And she, like me, is just drawn, driven, floated everything by colour. And funnily enough, we have a mutual admiration and passion for acid green. So (laughs) we both love doing tapestry or embroidery. You know, the more colourful and crazy it is, the better. And I was lucky enough a couple of weeks ago to Butter's house in West London, and the interior of which is as wonderfully, crazily jam-packed full of colour as the exterior. And I just thought she would be the perfect person to talk about what she does really, which is design very splendid small gardens. And this thing of not an outside space like I have here at Perch Hill, but Butter's specialism is making even really tiny spaces look absolutely like the perfect outside room. Welcome Butter, it's lovely, lovely to have you here. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm such an honor. I'm such a huge fan of you and and everything that you get up to. So I'm I'm hoping I'm going to come up with some useful tidbits today to help um, your your listeners uh, to create something a little bit more special outside. You surely you surely are. I know you are. So I guess the, the format of this is trying to vaguely stick to our system of twelve tips. So it has easy take home. But do you know what? It really doesn't matter if we go off piste, (laughs) as we often do. It doesn't matter. It gives us a basic idea of a structure. But I wondered whether you would start off with your number one. So what is your number one rule for making a beautiful small outside space? Well, I think uh, probably number one, it's, you know, that it's hard to sort of list them in numerical order because they're all kind of equal of equal importance but number one I think is probably scale I think if you scale up you think big in small then I think you automatically sort of enlarge and enhance your the look of the of the place look and feel of the place so for instance I would say instead of lots of little pots in a small garden, maybe you put one big one in with a rather magnificent tree or multi-stem shrub. That it sort of immediately sort of lifts the whole view and creates a bit of drama. Yeah, yeah. So I think scale really is an essential key to creating something that, and it's sort of the unexpected, isn't it? It's kind of kind of absolutely kind of giving you that sort of unexpected oomph of you know design detail that that kind of helps to create something special in a small space so I think scale is kind of number one yeah okay and I I'm not holding you to a hierarchy you're completely right these are all important (laughs) and um I mean we have that exactly here in in the perennial cutting garden here we have a, a round table at the sort of cross the apex of 
of where all the paths meet. And we have this round table and it is literally filled from side to side with the most massive old copper. And we used to have lots of small pots. And in fact, we often, we used to have a tiered sort of plant theater in the middle with lots of small pots. And actually, it's, you're so right. That it's so much more effective with just this one oomphy thing that you walk in it just like, wow, look at that. Kapow. Yeah. 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 I'm right with you. Okay, number two. Well, again, uh, I think if you can cram in a bit of water somewhere, you know, mm. it, and it doesn't have to be a big, a, you know, a big statement, but in a small space, the sound of water, particularly in town gardens where yeah. there's a lot of traffic, your neighbors are noisy, a little bit of water, a little bit of running water just does help to create a bit more sparkle and a bit more atmosphere. We did a lovely little courtyard garden in Primrose Hill. It, it, it's tiny, literally sort of two meters by two meters. And we used large format stone. So lots of big, hefty uh, reclaimed York stone mm. in a big pattern, which sort of creates interest at ground level. And then we put in this lovely little lead system with a built-in spout. Mm. and the water just circulates around the system and it just is magic it's magic and behind the system we had we have a mirrored trellis panel and when the water hits the light in the little system it sort of bounces up and sparkles against the mirror and it does it just creates the most wonderful little atmosphere and it it's so tiny Sarah you would like you can't even almost turn around in it it's yeah, so tiny yeah but you see it from both the kitchen and the sitting room brilliant and it is just this magical little area and the clients absolutely adore it because it sort of deadens down the noise beyond and creates int- intimacy and interest right in their little their little area I think I think that's because so, in fact in small what I didn't say and I, I want to say now is when you came over you actually worked at Colfax and Fowler didn't you yeah and so you your whole thing your whole history here with design started in fact with interiors and I know one of the kind of interior tricks with tiny halls and things of course is mirrors isn't it to try and make it the light reflect and the whole thing mm. to feel not like a well but I mean even more so outside where of course the sun is is um, more accessible, really. I mean, the light is more accessible. And then the whole water thing, when we had a, a sort of a biodiversity audit of this garden done, one of the things that is incredibly important is not just one, but two or three ponds or whatever, you know, over a bigger area, but to have this very shallow water, which the pollinators and the birds can bath in and and drink is incredibly important. So, you know, water in a city is is very important as well as for us, as uh, for nature too. It's it's a really key thing. Yeah, you know, in a, in a bid like you to audit, always audit what's going on for the wildlife and the ha- and the habitat that we're trying to create in these little gardens. I installed this year in my own wildflower meadow a great big shallow water bowl. You know, uh, sort of corten. Yeah. And like many, I just have a little battery operated solar. Oh, no, it's not even battery. It's solar powered little fountain to kind of keep water moving a tiny bit so it's not still and, yes. and stagnant. And honestly, I, I the, you know, the birds come and bay. I mean, it just brings so much joy. So I, I think, yeah, 
get as much water in into your little patches as you can and and it's beneficial for us all i think absolutely okay so we've had scale we've had water we've had mirrors so we've had three and then should we move on to wildlife now yeah so so you, you i know you've got this mini wildflower meadow haven't you and w- was that one of the carpets that you can get yes so genius so uh, when you're dealing with sort of smaller areas you know you can afford to kind of splash out bigger and I didn't I had um, some people coming to look at my garden for an open day and I thought oh my god there's not enough going on help so I rang my good friends at the wildflower meadow turf place Helen who's wonderful and I'm like uh uh, I need you know a little extra zing for my open day and she sent it on a pallet rolls of this wildflower meadow turf and as little preparation as possible you know you want the worst soil the porous thinnest soil and you roll it out like regular turf and away it goes and it's so foolproof you know you don't have to agonize over the you know getting the rattle in to reduce the grass la 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 so gosh it's genius and it's What's so crazy is that I find it's so much more interesting than my borders. I mean, I'm absolutely captivated by, you know, the comings and goings because every year it's slightly different. There's, you know, some years the oxide daisies are stronger than others. Some years the pink campion is stronger than others. And it's forever changing. And it really like gets me out there. Whereas my borders, I love my borders. Of course, I love my borders, but it's the meadow that I find I'm doing the best bit, you know, the best bit for nature in. So it's really a good thing. And what size is yours? I mean, what size, do you think there's a minimum? No, I really don't. I mean, the the great thing is with the turf, I've even cut it up and put it into, you know, lovely old pots. Yes. You know, you, you, you can do that. And if so, you can have a balcony and have wildflower meadow in pots on your balcony. It's yeah. genius. And, you know, this whole idea of this sort of pit stop for pollinators. So if everyone had a little patch, you know, and particularly in London, where we're all so close and the moths and the bees and the butterflies, you know, travel. And if we all had you know, a little patch. And and you can do it. Anyone can do it. So it is rather wonderful how easy it is to create that kind of, um, you know, that little bit of habitat for the butterflies and the moths in them. And I guess um, people often are wary of small scale wildflower meadows because they think, well, it's it's a sort of May-June phenomenon. But with things like betony and agrimony, which flower on into September or even with wild marjoram, even into into October, doesn't it? I mean, does yours keep going? Mine, I've got some oxide daisies in mine now. So, I mean, you know, it it just goes to show, and particularly in London where it's so temperate. Yes. You know, it does carry on. And in order to help it earlier in the season, I've sowed, you know, uh, crocus, Yes. which is really, as you know, the very earliest and the very best. Yes. And and then I kind of have early daffs and later daffs and then allium, which they obviously adore. So I've sort of threaded through bulbs that, to help, you know, extend the seasons as well. That's Both, so good. Yeah. And what's interesting is that the perennials kind of leap across from the, from the wildflower meadow too and vice versa. So I'm forever sort of, you know, having to swat the interlopers away but it at the end of the day it just doesn't matter you know what what comes comes and 
you know, it it has helped me to be less in control, that feeling where I've got to uh, manically control everything. Yeah. It's really helped with my ability to kind of let things go a little bit, yes. you know, which is yeah. quite helpful when you're, a, you know, a little bit of a neat freak. Yeah. <laughs> like, your house like is indeed very neat. Well, it's wonderful, but it is certainly neat. Uh, when I saw you, I teased you about the dusting. It seemed to me that there was <laughs> there was at least a day's a week dusting. <laughs> a nightmare amount of dusting. Okay, back yes, to gardens. Yes, yes. So what next? Well, I think good lighting is critical, rather. And it's easy to do in a, in a small space. And I think you want to kind like lighting inside, you want lights that shine down, you want lights that shine up, and you want sort of twinkly things hanging from the trees. If you know you can sort of run to that level or or, or that amount of lighting, and it it just does, you know, it gets dark. Well, now you know three thirty, four o'clock. So if you can, you know, flick a switch, it does help to kind of extend the view outside from Absolutely. outside to in. Inside to out, but well, both ways really. Yeah, I really feel it's kind of critical, and we always include lighting in our in our little schemes. And it doesn't have to be expensive. A lot of it can be solar operated, and you can get you know clever if you you know if you don't want to sort of tear things apart. You can get these very nifty wise boxes, so you which are controlled by a fob. So you can't, there are ways of retro, retrospectively fitting yeah. things, which I think is quite helpful too. So lighting essential next. Yeah, I feel like. Yeah, I so agree. And f- and I, funnily enough, um, the whole solar thing, I was worried in this country in the winter that there wouldn't be enough sun, but we mm. have quite a lot of solar here, uh, both in the greenhouse and outside. And actually uh, the vegetable garden here, Anita, has had done this sweet thing she hadn't told me about. I was driving back at about 8.30, 9 o'clock the other day, and I drove in and the greenhouse has got all these amazing solar fairy lights um, in oh, this screen sweet. all around the table that we sometimes eat at. And, of course, um, I hadn't even noticed it because I haven't been out there for dinner for ages. But in sort of the whole Christmas, New Year time, she's got it ready. And it, it's just so amazing. And they're just solar, so they just turn off after six hours. But then every evening when it gets dark, they've got this um, light-sensitive panel, on they come again, and they're not even plugged into the mains. I think that's genius. Yeah. Oh, wow. That sounds so charming. Well, a little fairy light, uh, you know, I think goes a long way, doesn't it? It really it does. It does make you feel good, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And as you say, when you're sitting inside, even if it's raining, if you're looking outside, it makes you feel as if your space is is that much bigger. It kind of, yeah. it, it, it draws the eye out into the black, which when it's warmed up with lights, make it lovely. And And in the winter, that is so important. And then also in the summer, if you're having a summer party you know it starts getting dark at sort of nine thirty or whatever but even even then that's so nice when you're still sitting out when the lights come on I, th- I think it's great yeah well that's fantastic that's point five we've I think we, we're definitely going to run out of time before we get to 12 but let's <laughs> let's do a few more anyway okay um I well I would say in a small space getting your vertical emphasis uh, you know kind of thinking about your boundaries and thinking about your wall treatments and creating a green screen from soil level to your Mm. trellis height or your wall height, if you're lucky enough to have walls, or your fence height, if you're not lucky enough to have walls, that really helps to one sort of enclose the space 
and give you a sense of privacy and intimacy. But it also, you know, also helps to create to blur the boundaries a bit. So yeah. I think concentrating on your wall treatments, your vertical emphasis, and also when we sort of quickly spoke about trees but you know get it's critical that every garden no matter how big or small has at least one tree you know for that key you know vertical little uplift and so I think vertical treatment is you know something to be considered always so and, and I'm a great one for trellis too that's helpful but also you can hang your lights on the tree which is which is another thing moving on from our lights yes exactly Good. And so maybe two or three more? Two or three more. So I I, I think um, there's this idea, and this is not sort of something I came up with myself and, and lots of people know about it, but borrowing your landscape. So for instance, if your neighbor has a silver birch yeah. and you can see it from your own garden, it's not a bad idea to plant your own silver birch. And then you have Yes. If you glance quickly across, you'll see a sort of a little repetition of theme. And that sort of also helps. It's all about sort of, you know, creating a bigger view than you actually have. So by, you know, by borrowing elements from other people's gardens down your, you know, down your little row or across your garden walls, it it's trickery, really. It just helps to create a sense that, you know, there might be more out there than there actually is. So I think that's a good one. And on trickery, I mean, this isn't trickery, actually, but it it very much makes me think of you is patterned paving in the same way, which is, you know, in in London, quite often you see really quite beautiful brickwork or detailing. And it's so easy to think in a small space that that will fuss up. But I really associate you with that, with, with really lovely change of texture and pattern in the what you're walking on and what you're looking at at ground level. Will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think it's been sort of a constant theme in the, in the gardens that I, de- I design. And I mean, wherever you've got an opportunity to create more interest, you know, you have to use these the, these golden chances. So I love a bit of pattern within the paving and we often incorporate circles within rectangular Mm. square spaces and a circle within a square it sounds a bit sort of nursery school geometry but it is just it just does create more opportunity for texture and you know pattern and design and all those things that are so critical that help to and you know create a you know a beautifully designed space so pattern 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 texture 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 I I, and you can use cobbles and pictures and sets and you know a combination so I'm I'm very hot on that I think particularly in a small space I think you know the busier the better weirdly as you say you would think it might be fussy but it just helps you to notice things elsewhere which is what it's all about I suppose yeah yeah and then seating I know is another thing that Mm. is incredibly important isn't it well I think if you're new if you've got a new garden or you're a new property I think um, it's very helpful to before you do anything at all to spend time in the garden you know through the seasons to see where in the winter time for instance where the last shreds of sunlight are 
so that you can or, or, or at the beginning of the day so that you can have a little moment with your cup of coffee yeah. sitting at a pretty table or a little table and equally at the end of the day you know you want you do want to sit in sunshine yeah. having your drink don't you that last little sparkly bit of, of light so you know concentrate on where how, how and where the sun tracks around your garden and and pay attention to that before any hard landscaping or big decisions are made because I think that's rather critical to you know how you will enjoy your space really and not I mean I'm afraid I'm rather against the outside garden which is all given over to hard landscaping and and then those those sort of faux wicker chairs that can be left out all the way you know 12 months of the year Mm. because I just feel there isn't enough nature biodiversity looseness it's just still too human somehow. And I think tables sort of nestled, as you say, in the bit that catches the eastern light and then the western light is just such a nice modest thing and actually will mean somehow that it's more private and personal and less about another party space somehow. And I think with small gardens, that's really important. I think you're right about the plastic furniture too. I think. Um, well, I don't want to sound snotty because, no, of course, no, you know, no. of course, they're they're rather wonderful if you are a party animal and you want to have a pizza oven and a you know, which I have. But yeah, there's something I quite like about having to put the furniture away and bring it out mm. again, almost like the Christmas tree, rather than it being all weather stuff. Particularly if it's not made from oak, which is all weather. I don't know. I'm on the verge of sounding a bit snotty and I've got to be careful, but there's something about authenticity. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay, so final one. But uh, what would be, I mean, I I think I know a final one, but you go go first. Okay, I well, I would say, I'm going to roll several into one because I need to get a few more (laughs) bits of information. Structural planting, one, good, I mean, I love, a clip shape and yes. even if the clip shape is in a pot even if that's all the space you have you have it just does mean that there's something all year round and generally i'm talking about an evergreen clip shape yes like a bit of you or horn beam that's not evergreen but or you know yes horn beam or beach just something that is really solid yeah so you have loose lovely planting where you can but then uh, you know, sort of full stop with something rather shapely. So that's one. And then I cannot design a space anywhere, in, you know, without a bit of scent too. I think yes. scent. Yes. Okay. Well, that's a good. That's our mutual final yeah. one. Good. Exactly. I, I, I just feel like it's almost irresponsible to design a garden without lots of it. And, you know, there are reams and reams of good providers and it's not only good for us as humans but it's generally great for the pollinators they love a bit of scent don't they yeah. i'm blessed in my garden with a great big magnolia grand floral which <gasps> drives me crazy wow. most of the time because it sheds its leaves all summer but i know the moths love it and it smelled the flowers smell sensational yeah and it really is a divine tree and our conservatory would be a nightmare without it it would be boiling hot because we're we've got a west-facing garden so okay it provides a lot of cooling 
leaf, which is, you know, and yes. nice to sit under as well. Yes. So, yeah. so that might be my final one. And smaller scale for those who can't quite fit a magnolia grandiflora? Well, I think there's an amelanchia is a very good little uh, yes. small tree for a garden and or uh, Circes canadensis. Yes. Yeah, lovely. What's it called? Something pansy. Is it winter the Judas pansy tree. Or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With the beautiful little heart-shaped leaves, yes. very sweet and and dainty little flowers. That's a great little garden tree, and you know you an acer in a pot. Yes, perhaps. always good. And then final one for scent before we finish. My favorite scent. Well, I I, I can't sort of get away from a tracheospermum jasminoides. Yes. I I yeah. I I mean they they're thuggish and they once they get going they're you know they will really romp away but for quickly covering a naked wall and and our minds on a north facing wall flowers beautifully. Oh beautifully. wow that's such a good yeah. tip. So yeah. I mean, uh, it does get a bit of sunshine, but, you know, I also have a Stontonia too, which is absolutely sensational. And that really is a thug. But, uh, my God, the scent is heavenly early spring. And the pollinate, very good for the pollinators. Do you know that one, Stontonia? No, I don't. I'm going to get one of them. Fantastic. Oh, it's it's wild. I mean, it does romp, romp, romp away. So you do have to be careful. But flowers very happily on the north facing wall oh god and, and wonderful scent mm. good incredible scent incredible fantastic scent. and what's your favorite scent do you have I, do you I, am i allowed to ask you yes of course i was just reminded of it today actually because of course this is going out in early january and for me at this time of year it's saka cocker i think which i know is mm. such a sort of insignificant thing at other times of the year but all you need is one or two or three perhaps poked round in quite a shady spot. And um, mm. just as I was walking in, I just got that, that catches you, um, doesn't it? The, just on the air, you just get the catch in the back of your throat of that fantastic perfume. Mm. And I love bringing it in and just, uh, I sear the stem ends and just put it in vases. Again, not, not particularly significant, not for our arranging, but just for that perfume particularly um strong in the evening so i think sarcococca would but i also like you yeah. adore tracheosperm and jasminoides so we now we've got to stop now butter but we could gas on for ages so we must think about other <laughs> things that we can talk about and return to at another time but i'm so grateful to you and i think there's so many good tips there and i'm longing oh. for you to um come and help me think about my new tiny garden in london Thanks so much for listening to Grow Cookie to Range with me, Sarah Raven, and Butter Wakefield. Next week, I've got a really lovely thing happening, which is that my next book is out. Well, in fact, not quite out. I've got pre-copies, but it's ready for pre-ordering because it's going to be released by us in early February. It's a year full of veg. And to help me chat about it so I don't drone on, I'm joined by Adam, my husband, Adam Nicholson. So I hope you'll tune in and listen then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com.